Well, we are in week three of our road trip together, and in week one, we looked at some, some rules for the road, some general principles to help us get to where we want to be, where God wants us to be, safely, on purpose, on time, and uh, we kind of discussed that. Last week, we looked at uh, the temptation to look for a shortcut, and we talked about how, how taking a shortcut can short-circuit God's will for our lives, and if you missed one of those weeks, uh, I invite you to go back, uh, catch up on our uh, podcast or um, uh, through our website. But one of the things about road trips is that you ever drive along and you're on the highway and, and you see like a uh, kind of a, a, a fork in the road. You're kind of like, uh, you come to a crossroads and you're like, okay, which way do I go? And you're like, honey, which way? Where are we supposed to go? And you're checking your, your GPS or you're checking, trying to figure out. And you're, you're like, I'm not sure which way is going to be the way that's going to get me there fastest, safest, get me there on time. Uh, how do you know which route uh, that, you, that you need to take. Now, when we apply that to our personal lives, we often talk about that in terms of finding God's will for your life. You've heard people say that, like, oh, I just want to know what God's will is. I'm trying to discern the will of God for my life as it relates to me personally, which is a real important question, especially if you're a Christ follower. It encompasses all sorts of questions like, well, where should we go? And should I move here? And should I marry this person? And should I, should I do this for a job? And th this, that, and the other thing. All sorts of, of questions that we have uh, on the road of life. Which way do I go? How do I get there? Now, the personal will of God is different from what's sometimes called the providential will of God. The providential will of God is, is sort of what God is up to in history, what God is going to do uh, ultimately. I think of it like this. I'm thinking, if I get to Florida... I have to head south, okay? And everybody, basically, to get to Florida, if you're driving to Florida, you got to head south. Uh, that's just the providential will. That's where it is located, and so we got to head in that general direction. Then there's the moral will of God, which is like, okay, don't drive on the sidewalk. And, don't, you know, it's like for us, it's, it's God says do this, don't do that. Is living in a, a life that's congruent with and that conforms to God's directions, God's decrees, and God's designs for all people. So the moral will of God is not different for different people. It's all the same, same, same rules for the road, same, same way that we follow that. And so it's important to understand God's providential will, where, what he's doing big picture kind of a deal, and get our lives in line with God's moral will, make sure that we're you know, on the road doing the, the right speed limit and so on. But once we do that, it's easier to discern God's personal will for our lives. And it's a process, and it takes some time. And so as we think about uh, God's personal will and crossroads and which way to go, uh, there's a key principle that's very, very important for us to keep in mind. And this principle is so obvious, you're going to wonder like why we're spending a whole week talking about it. But it's a principle that's so important that we sometimes have a tendency to overlook it. And, and we, we neglect uh, leveraging it for our benefit. And so the, the good news is, when it comes to God's personal will for your life, God wants you to know. It's not a mystery. God's not like, yes, I'm not going to tell you. You know, God wants you to know. God wants you to know actually more than you want to know. And he's given us some, uh, a very clear, a very practical, and a very specific way of discerning his will for our lives. And this principle gets illustrated very powerfully in the life of one of the Old Testament kings of Israel. In 1 Kings chapter 12, we're going to learn about this king that uh, stumbled onto this principle and then violated it. And so if you have your Bible, you want to follow along, or uh, it will be up front too, we'll put it on the screen. But uh, before we jump into the story, I want to give you a little bit of background. Last week, if you were here, we talked about Saul, the first king of Israel, and we saw last week he did not do a very good job. And so God replaces Saul with David, and David did a great job. He was described as a man after God's own heart, 
And David's son Solomon took over for him after David died. And Solomon starts out strong, but eventually his heart turns away from God. And God said to Solomon, okay, because you have not followed me, because you haven't been faithful to me, I'm going to tear away part of the kingdom. Now, because of the promise that I made to your father, David, I'm not going to take the whole thing away, but I'm going to tear the majority of it away because you've disobeyed me and you've dishonored me. But Solomon, I'm going to wait until you're gone in honor of your father, David. Now, at the same time, then, God sent a prophet to a guy named Jeroboam. He goes, hey, guess what? Solomon's kingdom is going to be divided, and you are going to be the ruler over part of Israel. And, well, Jeroboam thought, hey, that sounds pretty cool, until uh, Solomon finds out about this prophecy. He's not real happy, so he sends uh, some guys to go kill Jeroboam. You know, he's like, track him down, kill him, because we don't want, he doesn't want anybody to be king except his own son. And he doesn't want to lose his legacy and so on. While Jeroboam finds out about this, he escapes to Egypt. Time goes by, finally Solomon dies, and everybody assumes Solomon's son, Rehoboam, is going to be the next king of Israel. And that's where our story picks up. The nation had sent some representatives to crown Rehoboam, to, to kind of the coronation, you know, inauguration ceremony, uh, crown Rehoboam as king of Israel. He's basically already king. He's the son. But, uh, but first, the people have one simple request before they crown Rehoboam. 1 Kings chapter 12, beginning at verse 1, says, Rehoboam went to Shechem, for all Israel had gone there to make him king. When Jeroboam, son of Nebat, heard this, like, I'm like, he's in, he's in Egypt, but he's probably got some contacts, you know, he's apparently a, a guy of some power. He's still in Egypt from where he went to flee from King Solomon. When he heard that this was happening, he returned from Egypt. So they sent for Jeroboam, and he and the whole assembly of Israel, his people, his, must have a following here, they go to Rehoboam, and they said to him this. They said, okay, your father put a heavy yoke on us. We would like for you to lighten the harsh labor and the heavy yoke he put on us, and we will serve you. Now, if you've got your own Bible and you mark in it, and I hope you do, uh, maybe just circle that word or underline that word serve each time it appears in this story. So they go to Rehoboam, and in other words, they go, hey, could you just lighten up a little bit? Okay, you know, it's like, uh, maybe you could do a better job at leading us. Don't be quite so harsh. Your father, he was, he was very harsh, and there were high taxes, and we had to uh, build things, and there was forced labor and all that. And if we make you king, would you promise to lighten up a little bit? Could we, you know, go a few years without a building program and, you know, without as many taxes? Well, Rehoboam is at a crossroads in his life. He is at a defining moment. Because the people are like, well, we want you to be king. We just want you to be a different kind of king than your father. So Rehoboam has a decision to make. And from our vantage point, you know, we're looking back on it. We go, okay, it doesn't seem like that hard of a decision. You just go, okay, I'll lighten up a little bit. You know, I'll be a good king. But there's a lot at stake here for Rehoboam. Because on one hand, like to lighten up and go, oh yeah, I'll be a, a merciful king. That might have communicated like, I'll be a weak king. And then suddenly he finds himself at the mercy of every request. You know, they come back with another request and they kind of is held hostage to the people. You know, like give them a span, they take a cubit. That kind of a deal. Right? So there may have been something in him that wanted to go, well, uh, wanted to say, you know, I'll lighten up a little bit. Um, possibly, uh, those of you who are teachers, you know how that is, like with a classroom full of students. And you're like, okay, if I just... I'll just go easy on them. And then pretty soon it's like, uh, they're just out of control. So it's like, okay, maybe I need to be harsh. So maybe I need to be more like my father because like, he was a taskmaster and he had been real harsh. So I could be, I could lighten up or I could be 
kind of harsh. And so maybe I, I want to give in to the people, but, you know, kind of, I don't know. I don't know what to do. It's a very, very difficult decision to make. A very difficult environment. He, as a young man, does not have the skill or the experience or the wisdom of his father. So here he is. He's facing representatives from the whole nation. Okay, like talk about petitions, right? He, he's got, everybody's there. He's got a decision to make. And he does a very, very, very smart thing. Look at, uh, look at what he does. Verse 5. Rehoboam answered, go away for three days and then come back to me. So the people went away. He, he asked for a little bit of time. He, he does the thing that all of us need to learn to do when we have a decision to make and we've got to make it now and there's so much emotion and it's complex and there's pressure and we can't hardly think clearly. Rehoboam asks for a little time and then he goes to some outsiders for consultation. He asks for the input of some wise older people. And God spoke through these men. Look what happens, verse 6. Re, King Rehoboam consulted the elders who had served his father Solomon during his lifetime. How would you advise me to answer these people, he asked. So he goes to some older people who had seen what his father had done. They saw the mistakes that he made and the consequences of those mistakes. And they saw the good decisions that he made and not the rewards of those decisions. And they had great perspective and they were older than Rehoboam. So he goes to them and says, hey, what should I do? That was the best decision he made. Maybe his best, his whole time as king. And they reply, verse 7, if today you will be a servant, there's that word again, to these people and serve them and give them a favorable answer, they will always be your servants. They gave him godly and wise counsel. Hey, let's mutual servanthood, okay? Servant leader, that's, that's what you need to be. If you, instead of being like your father, you'd be a servant leader and you learn to position yourself as a servant of the people, man, they'll be yours for the rest of the time. You know, they'll always serve you. And if Rehoboam had taken that advice, it would have been a completely different story, not only for him, but for the whole nation of Israel. But, verse 8, Rehoboam rejected the advice the elders gave him and consulted the young men who had grown up with him and were serving him. So this is a group of people, his buddies, his pals, you know, his cronies, like they have a lot to lose. They've got a, they got a lot at stake in terms of what happens to Rehoboam. And he asked them, verse 9, what's your advice? How should we answer these people who say to me, lighten the yoke of your fa that your father put on us? Well, the young men who had grown up with him replied, well, you know, they said all this stuff. He says, here's what you tell them. Tell them, my little finger is thicker than my father's waist, which is a great kind of insult. I don't know. I was like, we don't use that anymore. But it's a way of saying like, hey, you thought my father was harsh? <laughs> Wait till I'm in charge. You ain't seen nothing yet. They're like, here's what you tell them. Tell them, my father laid on you a heavy yoke. I'll make it even heavier. My father scourged you with whips. I'll scourge you with scorpions. <laughs> like, wow, a little over the top here. These guys like got something to prove. Verse 12, three days later, Jeroboam and all the people returned to Rehoboam as the king had said, come back to me in three days, so we're, we're back. Verse 13, the king answered the people harshly, rejecting the advice given him by the elders. He followed the advice of the young men and said, well, my father made your yoke heavy. I'll make it even heavier. My father scourged you with whips. I'll scourge you with scorpions. So the king did not listen to the people. Now, this, is, this story amazingly illustrates this principle, which is about the value of going to others for counsel and advice. See, one of the primary tools that God is going to use in your life and in my life to guide us is the counsel of other believers. And here's why. See, when we're in those situations where we're forced 
to make decisions, and uh, it's a decision about something that's really close to us, and we can't hardly be objective. Like, for example, like relationships, relationships are always filled with emotion, uh, and emotion has a tendency to cloud uh, our ability to reason and cloud our decision-making ability. If you've ever been in love, you know what I'm talking about? Like, you know, it's like, love's like a fog. And you're just like, oh, and it's a wonderful fog, but, you know, like, we make all these silly, crazy, sometimes very, very bad decisions when we're in love. Or if you've ever had to make a decision that dealt with family members, (laughs) you know how complex that can be and difficult, and it's hard to be objective about family. Or if you're asked to make a decision about something that's just like, I got no experience with this at all. You know, there's some arena and it's just way over our heads. You know, maybe it's a business thing or a legal thing or financial and you're just like, I don't know. You know, like I have no clue. Even with all the wisdom you have, like you're unable to make a good decision because you don't know what you need to know in order to know that you're making the right decision. You just don't have the experience. So oftentimes we're faced with decision-making environments that are so complex or filled with emotion, or, or just over our heads, that, that just like getting in God's Word and getting quiet, like we're not going to get to where we need to be because of the nature of the decision-making environment. So what God has done is simple. He gave us one another. He's given you me, and he's given me you. Just as no part of our physical body operates independently, it's kind of bad things when they do, you, ever, you know, like no people who can't control. It's like, no, it's, we have been, we've not been left to make decisions independently. God's given us one another, the body of Christ, to facilitate the decision-making process, decision-making process. Now, if you kind of create that category in your mind of like, God, I believe you can speak to me through the people around me. I, can, I believe you can speak to me through the authorities over me. I believe you can speak to me through the godly wisdom of the people that you put around me. If you kind of create that category and learn to leverage it, you're going to be amazed at how clear God is willing to speak to you. It's not a voice. It's, it's not a magic verse. It's not some sort of obscure code. You've got to decipher page 218, you know, is like the 218th verse. You know, like, no, no, no. It's like God wants you to know. And he, he wants to make it clear. And one of the primary avenues is the people he puts in our life. Now, what's interesting is that the person in Scripture who, who said more about this than anybody else was Rehoboam's father, Solomon. In fact, Solomon, we're told, is the wisest man who ever lived. And the wisest man said in order to make right decisions, in order to hear from God, you need to bring in outsiders. Here are some of Solomon's Proverbs. Proverbs 1.5, Let the wise listen and add to their listening, and, and let the discerning get guidance. 12.15, the way of fools seems right to them, but the wise listen to advice. Pride only breeds quarrels, but wisdom is found in those who take advice. Listen to advice and accept discipline, and at the end, you will be counted among the, the wise. For lack of guidance, a nation falls, but victory is won through many advisors. Same thing. Plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors, they succeed. Over and over and over. The wisest man in the world said, hey, if you want to make good decisions, you need to invite others into the decision-making process. And I've talked to people in all kinds of situations. Like, I've been a pastor for a lot of years. There's been dozens of times where I hear people like sharing stuff that they're facing or, or problems they're dealing with. And, and many times... Like, as sensitively as I'm able, I, I kind of ask the question, like, well, did you ask anybody about this? You know, did, did, did you talk to anyone? Uh, run this by anybody before you made that decision? 
But like, did you invite anybody else into the process? And almost always the answer is no. And anybody with even an average IQ and a little bit of objectivity would be able to look at that situation and go, oh, bad decision. And I ask Christians this, and here's what they go. Well, no, but I prayed about it. <laughs> I prayed about it. Well, that's great. You know, I'm all for prayer. But God has given us something that's even more practical when it comes to getting good, sound advice and direction. God's given us one another. Probably 90% of those situations that, that people get themselves into those messes, if they had invited wise counsel in on the process, the situation could have been avoided completely. And they wanted to do the right thing. And now they're frustrated and maybe they're mad at God and like, God, why didn't you stop me? <laughs> like, give me a closed door. And I think God's going like, because you wouldn't leverage this principle. Because you wouldn't listen. And I think God is, is more than willing to speak to us. And one of his primary tools is other people. And if we learn to listen carefully, and if we learn to listen strategically, you'll be amazed at how God will speak to you. Now, you may have a story where you got bad advice. Okay, that happened. Rehoboam did, you know. The kingdom ended up being split. But here, so here's the, the issue. is like we need to learn to listen carefully and establish some boundaries for who we listen to and how we listen. And so there's some guidelines that we can follow when, when choosing the right people to listen to. I'll give you a, a few guidelines here. First, choose someone who doesn't have anything to lose, right? Not by telling you the truth. Rehoboam chose some people who had a lot to lose, uh, and they gave him some bad advice. And all of us have friends who's like, you know, like, you have got friends who are more concerned with the friendship than they are with you as a friend. You know, they, they want to oh, protect the relationship. And, and they're going to tell us whatever they have to tell us to make sure nothing happens in that relationship. That's their priority over telling us what we really need to hear. Man, you find a friend who's willing to tell you the hard truth? That's a friend you need to hold on to. Find somebody who has nothing to lose by telling you the truth. Second, and this goes back to one of the rules of the road we talked about first week of the series. You need to choose someone or some people in life who are where you want to be and they, in, sense, in a sense, have a map for getting there. Basically, you're just going like, okay, uh, you are kind of where I want to be in, in your marriage and uh, financially or, or in terms of your career or, or relationships or spiritually or whatever it is. And I'm not there. And I've got this decision to make. And ultimately, when the day is over, you know, 10, 15 years down the road, I'd like to, as a result of these decisions, I'd like to be where you are. Okay? Would you please share your map with me? Because obviously, you know how to get there. You're, you're there. And the problem is, oftentimes we ask people who are no further down the road than we are in terms of, of school or career or marriage or retirement or finance or something like that. You know, you're trying to make a big financial decision and, and uh, you've got all this debt, but you want a bigger and better whatever. And so you're trying to figure out what to do and you call in your buddy who's, who's uh, got a bigger and better and uh, he's got more, as much or more debt than you. And you're like, hey, I'm thinking about this. What should I do? And he's like, well, I'd just borrow more money. And you're like, okay, I guess I'll just borrow some more money. It's like we don't have any business taking advice from people who aren't any further down the road than we are. Uh, they're, they're peers, they're friends, they're, they're wonderful people. You know, you can talk and pray and share with them. But when it comes to saying like, hey, God, I want you to speak to me, like, we've got to be careful. Chances are, bad advice that you've gotten in the past, maybe even from, like, professional counselors, came from men and women who have been a little older and more educated, but they're, they're no further down the road than you are in terms of where you want to be. And what Rehoboam did right in the story is he, he went to the men who had been there, done that, got the T-shirt, you know. Like, hey, 
Yeah, he's like, having watched a king operate for 40 years, he says, you know, like, what do you think I should do? And they're like, hey, we've got some context for that decision. But his friends had no more context than he did. And besides that, they were clearly more interested in the relationship than they were in what happened to Rehoboam. So you've got to find people who are where you want to be and ask to borrow their map. And you can tell them, like, I don't want to copy you. You know, I, I just want to get to the same destination. So would you just, like, share a corner of your map? The insight you'll pick up is unbelievable. Third, if possible, you need to ask more than one person. Okay, multiplicity of counselors. Now, there's a kind of a caveat here. Don't keep asking people until you get the answer you want to hear. You know people who do that? We, uh, Rosalie and I used to have a friend, and she was asking us about this, this decision, and it was a relationship decision. She was very emotional about it, and, and uh, she's like, well, so-and-so thing, and so-and-so. We're like, how many people did you ask? Well, like 15. You know, I'm like, no, she was just like so confused because it's like all these people, and they're just overwhelmed. So be selective, you know. Choose some people who are objective. Choose some people who have wisdom, maybe a little more experience in that area. Fourth, choose someone you know and somebody you don't. In an ideal situation, get multiple perspectives and you'll be better off. Now, pick somebody who knows you pretty well. I run every big decision, medium decision uh, through my wife. So if you're married, make sure you know, you're consulting your spouse on stuff. But here's the thing. See, Rosalie and I, we grew up in very similar households. We've got that families of origin are real similar. And we've got real similar points of view. And she's got, one of her spiritual gifts is the gifts of discernment. So I always know I'm going to get some good godly counsel, um, which is great because, uh, you know, I, I need that often. And uh, I'm going to get some perspective and input that's going to be valuable. But because we are so similar in our backgrounds and so on, and the way we perceive situations and filter reality is so similar, it's kind of easy for us to overlook something that may be real evident to somebody from a different background. So, you know, now don't go to a stranger on the street and go, I've got this big decision, you know, don't do that. But just find somebody with a little objectivity. And, and listen to somebody who's got a different take on something. And you might go, oh, you know what? I never looked at it from that perspective before. Fifth, go into some conversations like sensitive to the fact that God may speak to them, through, speak to you through them. Okay? God may speak to you. Don't front load the conversation by, hey, we're going to get together tomorrow morning at 9 o'clock, and I'm expecting God to speak to me. <laughs> you know, you don't want to do that. Just talking about relationships that God has allowed us to develop, to develop, where we just pray in advance. You know, God, I just want to hear from you. Lord, help me, help me to know, and I use this conversation maybe to clarify something or to confirm uh, the direction I'm heading in is the right one, and just kind of use that other person. So, Find some people in those areas. And what do, you, what do you ask them? How do you talk to them? A couple of things. Three questions to ask. The first one is, are any of the options I'm considering outside the bounds of Scripture? Any, any of them outside the bounds of Scripture, as far as you know? That's especially important. Like, uh, if you're a newer believer, you're not really sure, you're not super familiar with the Bible, uh, you know, it's like, well, should I do this? Uh, uh, or should I do that? And if one of them is like clearly outside the bounds of Scripture, then yeah, the answer is no. Second thing, what do you think would be the wise thing for me to do? Oftentimes, the issues we're dealing with are not like right or wrong, black or white kind of issues. You know, sometimes it's like, well, should I do this or that? And so the question you want to ask is, okay, in terms of uh, where I've been, where I am, and where I'm going. In terms of my past experience, my current circumstances, and my future hopes and dreams, what do you think is the wise thing
for me to do? What do you think is a wise thing? Scripture says those who trust in themselves are fools, but those who walk in wisdom are kept safe. Through wisdom, God keeps us safe from an awful lot of bad decisions. You need to learn to ask that question, what is the wise thing for me to do? And then third, ask the question, what would you do if you were me? If you were in my situation, what would you do? What would you do based on what you've experienced and what you've accomplished and and what what you failed to do and you're kind of digging yourself out, you know? And if you'll be selective and you'll ask those strategic questions, you'll be amazed at how God will just use the body of Christ to give you guidance and direction. Now, I'll tell you why you won't do that, okay? Men, here's why you won't do it. Same reason like you'll drive around lost for a long time, right? It's pride. It's pride. Well, I should be able to figure this out. You know, it's like, I'm a guy. You know, I, I don't need anyone telling me what to do. All right, that's pride. That's pride. And there's a control issue that's part of it because it's like, well, you know, I don't want to ask somebody else because I want to be in complete control of the situation, which is an illusion, but it's one that we want to perpetuate. And pride can also come, like if you're in a leadership role, you know, and, and you, you want to appear in charge and you think, well, you know, since I'm the leader, I should know. Therefore, I'm not going to invite anybody else in on the process. But great leadership is not about making decisions on your own. It's about owning the decision once it's made. We've got to take advantage of every relationship and every opportunity that we've got to leverage the wisdom and the experience of other people. Second reason we avoid this, and this is a hard one, we, we kind of already know what we're going to hear before we hear it, right? You get those? It's like, I don't want to ask him, you know. He always says the same thing. Or I don't want to ask her. You know, I'd rather just kind of like, go with my impressions from God and a few of my favorite verses. You know, that's what I want to do. And when you find yourself avoiding counsel because you don't want to hear what you think you're going to hear, okay, that needs to be a red flag. Go slow. When we consciously avoid certain kinds of advice or counsel because it hits a little close to home or it's a little threatening, that may be God's way of saying to us, okay, slow down, okay? You're moving in the wrong direction. Some of you would say, I don't know anybody. Well, I I don't know who to ask. And this is where the body of Christ can come alongside and help us develop connections with one another. But you've got to be intentional about, you know, connecting with the the church family. Just sitting here an hour on Sunday is not going to do it. Look for opportunities to to get to know one another and to build some relationships, serve together, and and, kind of get in, do life together with people, other people. What would that look like for us to leverage that, that principle, to really put it into practice. Well, like, think back to some of the decisions you've made and maybe some of the regrets that you have and just go, oh, you know what? If I, I might have been able to avoid those if I had sort of invited the right voices into the decision-making process. If we had stopped to ask for directions, we would have spent a lot less time wandering around lost. We might be a lot, lot further along toward our destination. Truth is, your Heavenly Father wants you to know more than you want to know. And, and He's willing to speak if we're willing to listen. And once we get this principle down and have established this category for decision-making, like it's going to be so much easier to determine God's personal will in our life and to go, know which way to go when we hit one of those crossroads. Would you uh, stand with me now for closing prayer? Heavenly Father, as we've been kind of on this road trip together. Uh, the insights that we've gotten are so helpful. 
And the people that you've put around us, God, there's so much wisdom just in this room with, with these people that experience the knowledge. Help us to tap into that, to tap into godly people that you've put into our lives, to, to know which way to go when we're facing those complex, emotion-filled decisions maybe that we don't even know where to begin. So thank you, God. Thank you that uh, we have th these people and help us to, to really put this principle into practice, to know how to do that, God. Give us wisdom to know what to do with this, this principle and give, give us the courage and the power to do it. And we ask all these things now in Jesus' precious name. Amen.